It is your buddy and your pal, Ouch, back again with what you've been watching, the TV and or movie review show here on the Ouchcast. And as an added bonus, I'm trying this live, because why not? Again, check this out, twitch.tv slash slash Ouch. Yes, I'm, I've, it's one of those things I'm lucky enough to actually have that name, because it's hard to tell with like, the fake internet names and all that kind of stuff where, you know, people will just grab random letters and call it their name. Mine at least sounds like a name. I at least have that going for me. So here we are, twitch.tv slash ouch. Follow me there. You'll see the notifications. Or if you're on the podcast side, same thing, anchor.fm slash ouch or your favorite podcast aggregate of choice. Everything works, assumingly, and I'm actually doing out of decent frame rate. Amazingly enough, I was scared of that. That's kind of what stopped me the first time. It was just like, oh, hey, you have three frames, not three frames a second, just three frames. So here we are. What you've been watching, you know, even with the limited amount of marketing. Oh, that's. It's not obvious. No, I am completely coming this up with it off the top of my head. No, that's not obvious. So, but you know, the little bit of knowledge I have, it's always so curious when you look at old filmmakers and that just how obvious they do their marketing and who they do it to, who's it for. There's no shame in who they're going after. You know, let's see here. What's my joke? You know, if you have talking animals, it's a kid's film. If you're throwing Jason Statham around like a piece of garbage, it's an action scene. So, but no, especially when they would go after teens, that group. It's just the level of lack of subtlety is just crazy. It's just like parents just don't get it. Right, gang? It's, uh, it's not, not the most transparent thing in the whole world. So the, uh, the theme for this episode of the Mystery Science Theater Madness is those kooky kids. These are all kind of teenage centric themed films. It's not quite black exploitation, but people have probably heard of Dolomite more than any of these films. So without any further ado, let's get on to what I've been watching. This is more for the podcast audience. But hit the music, please. The first movie for today, like probably starting to become one of my favorites, surprisingly enough. Check this out for production value. Laser Blast from 1978. This is like now I'm already cheating because this is a more of a sci fi kind of push. You know, little horror, scary movie kind of deal. But I'm already cheating. But to be fair, all the stars are like in their 20s. So it kind of counts. 1978, Laser Blast, exclamation point included. Directed by Michael Ray in his only movie. Stars Kim Malford, Cheryl Smith, Eddie Deason, and a guest appearance by Roddy McDowell and Keenan Wynn. 
We'll get to those guys in a minute. Uh, this was Eddie Deason's first, his film debut, actually beating out his Grease appearance, basically doing the same kind of uh, nerdy kind of geek character. To be fair, I kind of like this poster <laughs> because it's just terrible. Like the main star is, you know, the set front and center, but it looks like Gary Busey holding a tape recorder. You guys want to be on a podcast? My Gary Busey impersonation, not great. But I think the only other somewhat kind of mean thing, Kim Milford, the main star, he plays Billy. He is your center guy there. Now, in the movie, he's a dashing young man. I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that. He looks good. I would say even hunky. The 70s standards, but you get the idea. Now, if you go to his IMDb page, they use the alien makeup from this film as his picture. That's so mean. That, that hasn't been changed yet. Uh, it's not a self-esteem builder for sure, but you never know. Uh, and, and I feel so bad. I know, like, he has actually passed away, you know, very early, too. I think at, like, 35 or something for him. But the fact that that's his picture being memorialized in there, that's, that's almost unnecessarily mean. Again, so the main star, Billy, is... They tried to portray it as the social outcast of the film for 70s. But again, like super skinny, cut dude, like halfway dashing. Like no one's believing he's getting beat up or picked on, but he somehow is like, you know, the town bully and geek kind of make fun of him. The town cops are constantly hassling him for some reason. It's just such a weird mix that, like, eh, you're kind of actually good-looking. We're going to take you down a peg or two. Billy is, you know, goes through his day, you know, completely aimless. I feel that. But he ends up going to this part of the desert where basically he just kind of prances around. There is no real other good way to describe it. That's what he does. So out in this desert, he finds the titular laser blast, the gun. So he puts it on. Uh, let's see here. And then like from there, you can kind of guess he starts using this laser blaster against basically anyone who wrongs him, which is a pretty long list, especially towards the end of the film. So the film is, you know, fairly obvious, honestly, just because, you know, you have a laser gun, you have a kid. He's going to use it. So, now, the laser blaster came from... Give a wild guess. Now, if you say claymation turtle aliens, you are either a good guesser, you read my script, or you're on a weird scavenger hunt. Because this, it was, this was such a weird choice in the movie to me. Like, the alien... These turtle aliens... Like, take take a t take a turtle, take out the shell, take what you think the body would look like. That's basically what these aliens are. They become they are central because they are basically watching the movie with you 
for some reason. Like, and they're in this ship that they cannot hide in. The scope and scale is never really quite figured out. It looks like it's a stadium-sized ship that's landing out in the desert. Could be, could not be. But the whole thing was, they apparently just completely forgot to grab the laser blaster. Like, there was one guy who already had it at the beginning of the film. No explanation how he got it either. But they vaporize him, and they're like, all right, our job's done. And then they leave. They completely forgot to get their darn weapon that they were chasing after. And it's just like, you know, they were acting like they were running so that no one would see them. But you're in a ship like the size of a Star Destroyer. It's not going to make a difference. Everyone sees it. So but so they left. They accidentally leave the laser blaster. They now are now watching the movie and Billy look at and use the laser blaster. And they're just like, oh, that's what we went there for. The laser blaster. Right. Ooh, we have to turn around. So, again, even like that was just a weird thing, a weird creative choice, having aliens. You kind of have to because of sci fi rules and stuff like that, but they're not bright aliens more than anything. So now one of the things that I do like in the film is how this cast of characters is almost immediately memorable, like it's no matter the size of the bit part, you kind of keep them in your memory a little bit. Like Billy's mom pretty much immediately leaves, but she's like so skinny, like her hip bones could cut a person. She she's there in these like form fitting pants, but she's gone immediately. She has like three lines. It's like, Billy, you'll be fine. And like, that's it. Like, Billy's girlfriend has a dad who is like a crazy military veteran who's suffering dementia. He like you can kind of get his gimmick real fast. But you have Billy. He has a, his rival. Kinda, I guess. And then Eddie Deason plays his pet geek. So he they bother him. They have the cops in town, which are more questionable of how they became cops neither of them are intimidating like one probably couldn't even do the physical tests that they do he's just like yeah knew the mayor mm-hmm so now i get to hassle teenagers it's a great life so like that's the one thing it's kind of like in a really weird reference homestar runner not in quality mind you but in terms of characters memorability things like that those kind of connect and stay in that where they leave a really good impression except keenan Wynn plays this character where it's kind of like fbi x-file agent something along those lines like he comes in he does do the whole who's in charge here not anymore you're not like he does do that. So he kind of takes takes over, but he he barely does anything like, you know, he's following clues. He's leading things. He doesn't really arrest anyone either, though. Like one of the side effects from using the laser blaster, Billy gets 
this like scab the size of a Pringle chip on his chest. And like they all like he, they bring him into the police station to question him. And it's just like, Billy, what's that? I don't know. You can go. It's like this guy, he did. And then, like, you know, he doesn't save anybody. He just kind of walks in. It's just I smell pointless. I don't know why he was there other than just, you know, he was in town for the weekend and he knew the editor. Who knows? It was not not a great part. The thing about the laser blaster itself was it seems to be its own alien entity. Kinda? Because it kind of starts jumping around with where he, or who his targets are. Like, if it's Billy, Billy takes it and basically he goes, he'll go blow something up. And then they'll replay that explosion like 12 times when it's really just the same explosion over and over again. Uh, dude, where's my explosion button at? I know I have an explosion button, damn it. Here it is. Oh. Wow, he blew up one car. Like, that's how all those are done. It's against people who have wronged Billy usually pretty immediately. Like, the bullies, the cops, understood those are fine. But the doctor he goes to see... A, a? So the doctor takes a chunk of scab off of his chest, and he goes has to go out of town to this other lab where then Billy then goes and explodes him. How did he know where he was going? Like that information is never conveyed to Billy. It's just like, hey, we're going to take your skin fragmentations. Have a good day. Like, so Billy should not have known where he was gone. But guess what? Dr. Dr. Zayas still gets blown up. All that aside, I really, really really enjoy Laser Blast. Now, it's a 70s film, so unfortunately, not a super happy ending, like any film from the 70s. It's pretty much, does your lead character die? Looks like you need to rewrite your script then, right? But, you know, again, I like the characters. I like the bit parts. I enjoy the story it goes on. It's got, it acts like it has a shoestring budget, they had some kind of special effects budget. I mean, even with editing multiple times, I think they blew up like three or four cars, you know, a newspaper stand, uh, a billboard that just said Star Wars on it. That took out for some reason. So that kind of stuff, it is visually appealing. I wouldn't go all that way because, again, Things from the 70s just have a weird kind of filth or grime on top of them. This one, this movie doesn't necessarily have any kind of, well, illicit gains. Not like, you know, drug trade or traffic cops or prostitutes or anything like that. It's just, you know, laser blasting, which is fun. But I still really enjoy this movie. I think the outlandishness of it helps it stand out. My review says 8.5.
out of 10. I don't know if I want to go that high because my second movie might beat it. I mean, maybe we'll just do an order of how I think they should be. Laser Blast, definitely a must watch, I think. I think Shout Factory TV, their website has it playing. Watch it on your computer, not on their Roku app, because you will get destroyed with ads. It takes an hour and a half, becomes two hours. I am not kidding. It is a drag, especially when it's the same ads over and over again. Ugh. Okay, but Laser Blast, check it out. Movie number two, I have more free flowy notes instead of an entire tape review. But movie two, Village of the Giants. If that poster's not doing anything for you, I don't know what will. This is a great, now stepping back, 1960s, a little more outlandish, produced by Burt I. Gordon. This was kind of his wheelhouse. That was the thing, is like these like schlocky kind of ideas. Mostly because he, I think he did the special effects where it was, it, it's not quite the chroma key effect. He was shooting things f to make them look like they were large. So it would be kind of like the bottle. This is not a giant bottle of green tea. I'm just affecting the viewpoint. And it's also being affected by the uh, green screen effect as well. Anyway, so, but again, this one is another kind of ridiculous, highly entertaining stuff, but it kind of gets me tooed. Hashtag. You know what I mean? Because according, again, this should be just, that's just a segment. According to IMDB, supposedly, according to IMDB, there's a part where we were going to where one of the lead, one of the female actresses said, okay, Basically, Bert I. Gordon wanted to see all of our breasts, and whoever had the biggest breasts was going to be the main star. If that's true or not, you know, I can't judge. I can't say. I don't know. I'm just explaining the situation out. But Village of the Giants itself, I get same level of ridiculousness and wackiness. I think the 60s excels more in that kind of aspect in uh you know outlandishness and ludicrousy in movies because they were just really trying to be off the wall and things like that so the movie starts basically the they're not like evil evil teenagers they're just kind of roguish i guess would be the best way to put it you know they're trying to have fun they're not they're not like tough guy teenagers or like full hoodlums or anything like that. They're just kind of, what's a good way? They're a little, they're just like tired of adults, basically. It's just like, oh, I'm 17. I can't wait to get out of here. And then they did. So it's like this group of eight teens, four guys, four girls, crash in the rain and then immediately start dancing in the mud. That's the opening scene. And I mean, it's like four or five minutes of just them dancing in the rain, in the fake rain, in mud, acting like they were in Woodstock. Again, mud is just kind of gross to me. It's just like, yeah, don't like it. And again, to quote the movie, it's not really giving a whole lot of deposition, but there are a lot of wet boob shots. Take the good with the bad, I guess. 
So all these teenagers go to whatever the closest town is. It don't matter. It's the same. You can name it, you know, Smileyville. It does not matter. Where basically Tommy Kirk from from Catalina Caper, more known in MST3K circles, Tommy Kirk is a main is the main and also an interesting hit. A young Ron Howard stars as this kid genius stereotype where it's like he's just doing experiments the entire time. But for the most part, he just puts himself in danger because like he either makes something explodes, it goes off in his face or in the really weird thing, it comes to life and goes down the drain. That's kind of creepy. But so Ron Howard, Ron, Ronnie, Ronnie Howard, the kid, kid Ron Howard develops this goo or the substance where people with people things anything that eats it just grows it's based off of hg wells food of the gods fyi so fun fact the substance they used as the prop for the thing angel food cake dyed red interesting <laughs> there was even a thing where the teens who end up eating it would just keep eating it to get in character it's like no, you just like angel food cake. No harm in that, but you just like angel food cake. Again, so he makes this, you know, compound that makes things big. This is where the actually interesting uh, visual effects come in. You know, when you, it looks like you have a dog sitting next to an entire science table, it's impressive how they do it. Like, all things, for 1960... 1969 whatever it's honestly well done for being it because it they use it the entire time in the movie tommy kirk immediately feeds this compound to some ducks and they grow big and then somehow loses track of them immediately like really big ducks no one's gonna lose how do you lose that it's just like they're just outside and it's just like do you do you need us anymore okay we're gonna we're gonna waddle this way the bad teens get into town the good teens apparently are trying to find these ducks and they all go to the whiskey a go go like this historic club in L.A. Amazingly enough. So and then it's the usual teenager dancing, you know, supposedly whatever popular music was in at the time. Uh, people shaking their butts. That's what all dancing was in the 60s. Honestly, look it up. That's what it was. And then basically the ducks somehow get into this club. Which is a shame because they just tied strings on the ducks and then just were lifting them up and down to make it look like they were jumping around. It's a little not duck friendly, I'll say that. And for some reason, these giant ducks just become the talk of the entire club. If you're not, it's all dancing is now too. Have you not heard of twerking? True, but to be fair, shut up. <laughs> okay, you got me. I can't help you. But still. Oh, the kids today and the twerking. So, alright. So, for you again, the, the, the club is in the maze. Like, look at all the ducks in here. It's like, okay, you, you, you're, the ducks are the most interesting part of this club. You know, Tony Basil as a kid is dancing on top of the stage and you're paying attention to the ducks? Just seems weird. So, again, so Tommy Kirk and his friends come to the club and he just immediately takes credit credit like he was acting like we got to keep this a secret. No one can know about this. 
instantly club full of people. Hey everyone, those were my ducks. Thank you. I'm the duck guy. So so now the I, again, I don't want to call them punks because none of them are even dressed up by 1960s standards as punks. That's just like they're all wearing cardigans and sweaters and stuff like that. It's just like I can't call them punks. I don't know what to do. So the other group of kids are like, we got to figure out why he has giant ducks. It is like a main point for the first half of the movie. You know, they try to get it through the club. It doesn't work. It goes to the next day. They have cooked the giant ducks, which probably not FDA recommended. But I mean, it was the 60s. So you never know. So they cook the ducks. They the kid punk kids, again, not punks, but just kids. They find it. Big brawl ensues. They get away with it. So the kids go back to this abandoned theater. They all take it. And as you can see, they all become giants. Hence the poster. And by the way, the scene in this poster literally happens. Like, that has probably just got to be one of my favorite kind of ideas is the fact that someone had to build a giant prop chest. You know what I mean? What do we need? Really? Bert I, is this legal? So all the kids, so all the punk kids grow big. And especially the females. They uh, of course you're gonna focus on that. On the Mystery Science Theater DVD of this release, they interview one of the stars. Her shot is the camera, you know, it's at a regular, it's like a regular shot. The camera then zooms in to where her navel is. There's a stage guy behind her pulling her like sweater back. She's not wearing a bra. So the shot is she they have to pull the sweater back. So it looks like it does the pop, pop, pop kind of thing. And the camera just stays there and just lightly squeezes up her body to get back into her face. Impressive shot that they could somehow get away with it without messing stuff up so again 1960s that was risque for the time being impressive enough as it was so all the teenagers are now big and they basically a all of their clothes become like roman emperor slash carpet swatches it's not super threatening it, it's just a weird one so the, what they had to do they shot slow for big. So like when the kids had to move, like talking, they could just talk irregularly. They kind of had no choice for that. But when they would move, they would literally have to do things like, like they had to force themselves to act like that, which was really funny because there's a scene closer to the end where the main guy is trying to throw like, you know, He's holding a pencil, but it looks like a pull where he has to do slow motion, slow motion, slow motion, fast motion. All of a sudden, it just doesn't quite mix. But like with scenes where they don't have to interact with the small people, it's like they could just kind of slow that down, which also makes the film twice as long because this dance scene introducing the giant teenagers goes on for like 10 minutes. It takes forever. And like and the whole town is watching. It's like. Wow, those are really big teenagers, right? Like, they do nothing but stare. It's just like... 
we would call someone, but everyone's already here. So it's just like, so they're all stuck there. The town seemingly is unfazed by the giant teenagers. And then the worst part is to get these shots of the small people interacting with the giants, they have to shoot at that distance to have it. So you imagine you're like in the corner of an old fashioned community theater the you know a character has to walk halfway down you have to shoot the stage because in ideally the teenagers that are giants are stuck there but you have to get audio of the guy acting with him but he's like 30 feet away from the microphone so it just becomes what it's it becomes so hard to tell especially the giants kind of take over the town. That's fine. There's the scene where they're trying to distract them because they have plans. You know, they have to the regular kids have to take the town back over from the giant kids. No one's on the same team. It's anyone's game. So they came up with this plan to distract the boys of the giants where it was again. They had they asked Tony Basil, 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 whatever. She sung. Oh, Mickey, that's who it is at her as a kid. They had her dance for these giant men, kids, boys, whatever. The idea is there, but it's like being attracted by something the size of a squirrel. I know it's not going to work out. It just doesn't quite make it. So they distract one set of kids. The other one just basically pulls David and Goliath. That's honestly all he really does. Uh, they come out, they're all just watching him. None of his spears ever hit for some reason. Uh, kid Genius discovers the antidote, which is just pink smoke. He bikes back into town. All of the giants shrink back down to normal. The main bad kid gets punched and KO'd in one hit by Tommy Kirk. Not a source of pride, honestly. They all get kicked out of town. And then the last scene in this movie... They get walked back out to where their car crashed cars. They just have to keep on walking. You hear a voice off screen. Like, is this where the giant goo is? And she's like, yes, this is where the giants where goo is. It's like, thank you very much. And then it's just this line of little people walking into this town. It's like, you're going to end this cheesy film with like a cheap midget joke? Really? And she's like, it's like, that's not really comeuppance or anything like that. That's just kind of mean for sake of mean. <sighs> Again, overall, massively entertaining. It's not boring by any stretch of the imagination. It does have a cheesecake factor to it, even though it's from the 60s and most of the actors are dead. It's, again, I kind I comparing the two. Oh, man. Laser Blast. I kind of like the idea. Maybe a little more? Village of the Giants, I think, is more entertaining. Ooh, man, it's so even between these two. Both have a level of ridiculousness. Both have a clear defined gimmick you have the science fiction laser gun 
you have giant teenagers in scantily clad clothing, 60s, in effect. I, th mm. I think Village of the Giants, just by a hair bit, is better than Laser Blast, because at least... Village of the Giants has the entertainment factor, but even in the story itself, it at least comes back and it kind of gives you somewhat of a happy ending. Even if it ends with a cheap little person joke. Like, again, my theory is basically every movie from the 70s has a bad ending. It's just someone's got to die. The world's, world's got to end. Anything like that. I think that hurts it a little bit more. So I think so. I will give. Village of the Giants in 8.5. I think I'm going to give Laser Blast 7.5, 7 and 3 quarters. Both are really close. I like both of them a lot. I think Village of the Giants beats it out. Because, I mean, you know, that's what they did to Kim Milford. What do I want to look at? Alien that or giant fake boobs? What do you want from me? And finally, the third one. Not a whole lot of information on it. Like, when you try to look something up in IMDb, and it just goes... You know, you can only do so much with it. Uh, it is a 1960s hobo melodrama called The Girl in Lover's Lane. Okay, now, that looks almost film noir -y or whatever you want to call it really does not go all the way from there there is the character danny for some reason wants to become a hobo like he whatever little bit of money he has left he immediately starts hopping train and within the first minute of the movie he's already getting hassled and shaken down for the money so he makes it onto this train where he meets where he meets his he meets his senpai. That's basically what it is. His senpai in homelessness. And it, the character's name is Bix Dugan. Now I have to put that pause in there because if you say it all together, it sounds like his name is Big Stupid. So Bix Dugan, Big Stupid. It's right there. So they basically become a team and go to this town trying to be vagrants or whatever. You know, this town really tries to act like it's Mayberry or whatever and like, you know, all wholesome and innocent fishing pole on your back. It's nothing but like hoodlums, back alleys, prostitutes, hoe houses. There is and like, like there's, there's like one nice pond and the diner where the guys work at. Those are about the only two nice places. So so they basically get into street fights because they find out, hey, Hey, the two new guys, they got money. Easy targets. Basically, the main thing that's going on is they, these new guys come into town. Big Stupid basically kind of starts a relationship with the owner of the diner's daughter who works there. Again, it's, it's like a eh, puppy love kind of thing, I guess, is the best way to put it. I don't really know. But at the same time, the town creep of Jesse, played by Jack Elam, 
is also kind of trying in a way. Like, the guy who's got the eyes going one way and the other just like, no, don't worry, I just like to look at you. Like, I think that's Len's like, no, it's okay, I just like to look at you. Hey, where's that mace gun at? Again, like a bad comb over, some pouty lips, a lazy eye. Can still leer at the waitress, even though he's not looking in their exact right direction. You know, that kind of creep. I mean, he is your paint-by-the-numbers bad guy, honestly. Like, you see him, and it's just like, oh, he's going to do something bad no matter what. But, like, the entire town folks is just, oh, it's just Jesse, leave him be. Big Stupid and the girl form some kind of relationship. Like, is he going to leave because he's a hobo, or is he going to stay? Things like that. But basically, the scene in the poster here is basically what happens in the movie. But it's so weird because it does the shot where, like, she's walking along the bushes or the pond or whatever. She looks up and, you know, screams, ah, Jesse is like turning 90 degrees away, looking directly at the camera from this side. And then it's just like, hey. It was it's just a weird juxtaposition of the shot. It just didn't make sense that he wasn't looking at her like the traditional horror villain kind of scene. The town basically gets upset that the only wholesome woman is now dead. And of course, they basically all think who would have killed such an innocent creature? Hobo. So they basically immediately chase down Big Stupid. They all are basically about to lynch him, essentially. Danny rushes back, goes, wait a minute. What about the evil guy? Doesn't he usually do something like this? And then, then he like gets Jesse gets pushed over once and was just like, OK, OK, I did it. I did it. And then, then everyone just goes. Oh, that makes a lot more sense now. I do not have a button for that. All I have right now is an air horn. Works for me. I paid for this damn soundboard. I'm going to use it. In the end, you know, the town. I don't know if they really forgive Big Stupid. They all just go. Well, I mean, Tuesday's over. I guess we'll see you tomorrow. And then, you know, he, he, Big Stupid just walks away. And then that's honestly the end. It's just like Danny's just like, let's go home, best friend, senpai. And then like, that's the movie. Apparently, this is one of those movies where people either love it or hate it. And I just basically go, yeah, that's a movie. Like, it's not, you know, a comedy of errors. It doesn't really mess up too much. There's nothing bad or errors of judgment nothing like that it's competently made it's just you know a, a melodrama melodramatic piece set in the 1960s with hobos it's just again you know compare it to you know the other two episodes i've just mentioned obviously there's not a whole whole lot there to compare to you know, you know, it's competent. There's a story. There's an arc. It's a movie that actually takes you some places. I it's OK. If you're watching the entire series, yeah, you can. I don't think you have to skip it or anything. I give this one. Written review says six. I'm probably going to say five just because 
there isn't a lot, lot to the movie. Like, I mean, you have the the usual, some lousy, like, lousy fight scenes. You got some weird, you know, just black and white, you know, outsides of buildings and cities, stuff like that. There's an interesting choice of the scene in, you know, the Bunny Ranch that's basically, you know, again, 1960s risque more than anything, which was fine, but I mean, it wasn't that much, you know. I, they were really going for, like, a prototype version of Rebel Without a Cause, kinda? Unless that predates it, but I mean, it does have that same kind of feel of Big Stupid being, like, the anti-hero kind of thing, or the the rogue vagabond with a heart of gold, whatever you want to call it. There's kind of in feeling like that a little bit. But other than that, it's kind of the same, you know, Squaresville of like 1950s, 1960s, you know, good guys, bad guys, not a lot of characters. It's just like the good guy is just like, Hey, I got a hundred bucks. I don't know if we can get the change at this establishment. Like, you know, that kind of innocence of being a good guy, but you're also kind of stupid at the same time. Again, not it's five, I'd say five. You know, I'm doing it out of memory, but I would say five out of ten. So if you gotta watch any movies, hit Village of the Giants, hit Laser Blast, Girl in Lover's Lane. You can come back too. That would be the best bet for me. Just because, you know, it's not like there's a huge actor. It's not like there's a memorable moment or super scenes. It's an average movie at best. So, those are the three movies I have, amazingly enough. Uh, all right, so let's wrap the podcast up. Thank you for watching. If you want to join me live... Check out twitch.tv slash ouch. You'll get a post when I go live. I'll probably post it on my Twitter account as well at just ouch, capital J-U-S-T, capital A-E-W-C-H, same as Instagram. Or you can just stick with the regular way. Check out the podcast anchor.fm slash ouch. And that is this time's episode thank you for listening everyone every play is progress you can find me on twitter and instagram at just ouch capital j-u-s-t capital a-e-w-c-h or send me an email ouch 64 at gmail.com and don't forget you can find this show on many many podcast sites all you have to do is search the Ouchcast and anchor.fm slash ouch. Until next time, everybody, we will see you then. Bye bye.